0: Hey, family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, amen, Romans chapter 8, and uh, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 26, amen. I, I thought, and y'all got to forgive me, uh, I thought that I was going to uh, end the series today, I'm going to end it next week. Uh, and I'm gonna preach a message next week entitled "Lift Every Voice and Sing." Amen. So I want you to bring somebody with you next week as we, uh, amen. And the writer is from here. Praise God. And uh, and so I'm going to I'm going to preach that next week. But this week I want to uh, do something special. Uh, Romans chapter eight, and I'm going to begin reading Joe at verse number 26. Amen. Verse number 26. If you have it, won't you say I got it? If you don't have it, don't worry. We brought a Bible to you. It's on the screen. Mm -hmm. Hear the word of the Lord. It says (coughs) in the same way, the spirit, someone say the spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep. Somebody say too deep, too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how then will he not also with him freely give us all things? And who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For the sake of emphasis, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 37. It says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Amen. As you're taking your seat, do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we shall overcome. Amen. That's what I want to preach about this morning. We shall overcome. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus name. Amen. We shall overcome. It is said that these immortal words were born in the tobacco fields of South Carolina as tobacco farmers and cigar workers went on strike to protest their wages and their work conditions in the heated racial climate of the segregated South. History, unfortunately, is unable to identify the name of the original writer of this song, but somehow these lyrics took on wings and flew through the pages of history until they became the unofficial anthem of the American Civil Rights Movement. And we've heard its song echoing through our history as the mothers and fathers of the movement marched in Selma and Atlanta and Washington, D.C., testifying that in spite of the hell they were forced to face on a daily basis during one of the most dark times in American history, that as a people we would not remain beaten under the pressure and pain of prejudice forever, but we shall overcome someday. And even though most of us come to church today looking as if we are able to handle all of the problems in our lives and we work hard trying our best to keep it all together while we wade through the troubled waters of life, if we could be honest, we'd have to admit that even though we are fighting not just to make it, but to make it look good while we make it, deep on the inside, we're praying that we see a glimmer of hope in the midst of the darkness, We're looking for something that will tell us that in spite of all the tears and the turmoil, the pressure and the pain, that this season of trial and trouble will not overwhelm us and wipe us out. We've come to church looking for a proclamation of peace in the midst of our problems that tells us that we will not be washed away by the hell and high water of our lives. And I know I'm not the only one who wants to believe that even though it's crazy right now, even though it's difficult right now, even though it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, I still want to believe that we shall overcome someday. The truth of the matter is we exist in a culture where hopelessness is at an all-time high. People are taking their own lives at an alarming rate. And it's not just people in the crack house or people in the projects or people who are struggling on the margins. But even those who seem to have it all, even celebrities cannot find joy in their fame or in the things that they possess and are falling victim to suicide. Even pastors who shepherd and help others through their trauma are being overwhelmed with helplessness and depression and are taking their own lives because after years of fighting they can no longer see a pathway to having victory over the darkness and i believe that there was someone who made their way into church today praying that they would hear a word from the lord that would cut through the fog of their helplessness and hopelessness like beams of sunshine breaking through the clouds on a rainy day preacher tell me that this pain that i am feeling won't hurt like this forever tell me that these dark thoughts that come to my mind won't get the best of me tell me that this sickness in my body this pain in my heart the wounds of this abuse and the shame of my past will not always have dominion over me and if you've been hoping to find some light at the end of the tunnel if you've been praying for joy for some comfort in the midst of a chaotic life then i've got good news for you if you belong to god no matter how much adversity you are forced to face you will not be overwhelmed by the adversity of life but you Will overcome god help me i know that we're hard pressed on every side and i realize that we've been backed into a corner and it seems like there is no way out but don't you dare give in to the spirit of despair if you hold on to god god will hold on to you and he will make sure that you survive this set of circumstances you will not drown in doubt you will not die in your depression you will not be defeated by this dilemma but you will overcome And I know it may not look like it. It might not feel like it. You might not be able to see it. But God says you belong to him. And you might feel like you're losing. But there are no losers in the family of God. You will have victory. You will overcome. Do me a favor. I know it's early in the message. But help me preach. Touch your neighbor and say he's going to give you victory. I I know it doesn't feel like it yet. I know you don't feel like you're winning. You actually feel like you're fighting a losing battle. And you're wondering how you're going to be able to recover from this depression and this despair but God told me to tell you he's getting ready to give you victory over this situation I don't know who I'm preaching to but somebody needs to know that you've been fighting for so long and God said it's time for you to realize that victory is coming your way if you hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battles the songwriter said victory shall be mine oh God the blessing then for every one of us who has placed our trust in Jesus is that we will not be overwhelmed beloved but we will overcome and that's the lesson that God is trying to teach us in this text today in Romans chapter 8 Paul the apostle is writing to the church that is gathered at Rome and while Paul is in Corinth he's hoping that he'll be able to preach to them in person so that he can share the gospel with them and impart to them a spiritual gift that is necessary for the validation and expansion of of the church. But just in case Paul is not able to make it to Rome the Bible says that Paul writes Romans so that he can give their give the church there a full explanation of God's work of redemption. Theologians have said that Romans is in fact the gospel according to Paul because it tells the story of how God created the world and how man through his disobedience doomed us to judgment and death but God by his mercy sent a savior named Jesus to die in our place and by doing so give us the victory and power over sin and death and when we come to Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 39 Paul is now taking the time to tell the church at the center of the Roman Empire a church that is constantly at risk from the Jews who hated Jesus and from the Romans who put him to death that they need not fear the adversity in their life that they not be, need not be afraid of persecution and trial because the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death is God's guarantee of the ultimate and overwhelming victory over the trials of life for those who believe in his name God help me let me say that again in case you didn't get it the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross is God's promise that no matter how hard life is it will not take you out God help me why does this matter for us today it matters because we live in a society that is having a hard time processing the pain that is caused by adversity especially for those of us who are black there is economic disparity educational disparity over policing that is often accompanied by police brutality there is gang gang violence and drug abuse and mass murder and hate that is emanating from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington D.C. there are people drowning in mountains of credit card debt and student loans and who can't find jobs to help them pay their bills there are people dealing with sickness and some who can't even afford to see a doctor mothers and fathers who are praying for their children and young people who are struggling with their identity and they want to know if there is any hope for them and i am preaching this message today to let you know that what paul told the church at rome applies to you today if you have placed your trust in the lord jesus christ and believe that he is who the bible says he is and that he did what the Bible says he did then no matter what it looks like you will overcome God help me and God is calling us as his children to reject the darkness of despair and hopelessness and live with the hope that because of Jesus we have already and we will have the victory but the question then is how do I live with the hope that I will overcome even when my trial have me feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, how how can I live? How can I live with the hope that I'm going to come out when my troubles have me feeling like there's no way out? God, help me. Well, the first thing you have to do, I'm in the text. The first thing that you have to do is you have to remember that you have a helper whose name is the Holy Ghost praying for you. God, help me. Oh, God. Verse 26 and 27 says, in the same way, the spirit also helps in our weakness. Why? Because we do not know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself, God help me, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You miss it because if you had got it, you would have shouted because we've come to church and shouted about the fact that we had grandmama praying for us. We've come to church and shouted about the fact that Mama and them were praying for us. We've rejoiced over the fact that pastor was praying for us. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said that in your moments of weakness, in your times of pain, in your moments of tribulation, when you feel like you're not going to be able to recover, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost himself, God help me, begins praying for you. God help me, you don't get it. Uh, The Holy Ghost then is the third person of the Trinity. That means that the Holy Ghost is just as much God as Jesus is God and as God the Father is God. And the Bible says that when you are weak and you are in trouble Maya God doesn't call a church mother to pray for you but God lets the Holy Ghost begin to pray for you. Can I tell you how I know that God is crazy about you? Can I tell you how I know that God loves you with reckless abandon? God is so crazy about you that when you get in trouble God starts start talking to himself about you, God help me. Oh God, have you ever been so bothered that you started talking to yourself? That's how bothered God gets when you're in trouble. When you get in trouble, God begins to pray to himself on your behalf, God help me. Matter of fact, you might be praying some crazy stuff. You might be asking God for some stupid stuff. You might be asking God to keep you into a relationship that he's trying to break you free from or give you a promotion on the job that he's trying to release you off of. And God says, don't listen to them. Listen to me, talk to me, Uh, I want to talk to me about her. Let me talk to myself about what he's going through. Let me talk to myself about his situation. And the Bible says that whereas your prayers are feeble and flawed because they are influenced by the weakness of your flesh, the Bible says that when the Holy Ghost begins to intercede for you, God is not influenced by your flesh, but he prays, hear me, according to the will of God. God said, I don't get confused about what I want for you when I'm talking to myself you get confused, but I know exactly what you need And I'm glad that when I prayed for more money, and I needed peace the Holy Ghost prayed for me I'm glad that when I prayed for more people and what I needed was more patience the Holy Ghost prayed for me I'm glad that when I asked for a healing, but what I needed was perseverance the Holy Ghost You've got a helper whose name Is the Holy Ghost praying for you. But the second way you live with hope, even when you're feeling overwhelmed, is you've got to acknowledge, hear me now, that it is normal to feel despair. Uh It's normal to feel despair. But you've got to train yourself not to allow what you feel to override what you know. I'm in the Bible, I promise. Verse 28 says, and we know. <laughs> uh, this is a Greek rhetorical device. It is, it is an assumptive interrogative statement. It's, it's, he is saying, and everybody knows, right? But everybody may not know. But when he says, and we know, he's saying that if you've been with God for any length of time, then you should know. God help me. He, he's saying that your experience with God should be enough to teach you uh-huh. something about God. Yeah. What should your experience then teach you about God? The text is clear that all things, God help me. Oh God, I'm sorry. I forgot why I love the NSB. NASB. The NASB says it properly. It says, We know that God causes. God help me. All things don't just work together for good. Yeah. Without the divine intervention of God, all things could very well work together for your bad. But when God is involved, God help me, God causes things that should not normally work together to come together on your behalf to benefit you in a way that it would not have benefited you had God not gotten involved, God help me. Uh, He says, all things work together, God help me. Uh, But all things don't work together for the good of everybody, God help me. You need to stop telling your unsaved, backslidden, non-Jesus worshiping friends that all things work together for your good. I don't care how much you like Travis Green. If you're not called according to the purpose of God, if you're not living according to the will of God, if you have not submitted your life to the gospel of God, then it's not working together for your good. But if you're in the house, God help me, God told me to tell you that all things are working together for your good God help me and so I know then that God is causing all things to work together for my good even though I feel as if everything is working against me for my bad even though I feel like it's working against me I know that it's working for me that's why you have to learn how to trust revelation over stimulation God help me you've got to learn how to trust revelation what the Lord has said over stimulation what your circumstances are causing you to feel because stimulation wears off and when it wears off the feelings that were brought by the stimulation wear off as well anybody who's ever had a one night stand knows I'm telling the truth you can be caught up in lust and caught up in feelings and then wake up in the morning and be like Lord what have I done it's because you got caught up in stimulation rather than working off of revelation but when you work off of what God has said revelation can override stimulation revelation says yes i'm going through hell yes i'm depressed no i don't like what i feel like look like when i look in the mirror my kids are acting crazy my money is jacked up i can't manage my time all of these things i am feeling and my feelings are real but my feelings can't override what i know and what i know is god is going to take all of these bad things over here and all of this grace over here and somehow cause them all all to work together for my good okay uh, y'all don't get it let me help you uh, uh, a couple of years ago 2017 my parents came here to visit and my niece shiloh uh came to visit with them shiloh is uh i have uh an innumerable amount of nieces and nephews now uh from my three sisters and my brother who who went home to be with the Lord. But Shiloh was my first niece. She was the one that made me an Uncle Josh. And uh, uh, when she was born, uh, I loved her uh, like she was my own. She was the first baby I ever was at the hospital to see be born. Uh, I love my niece. And so uh, we have a special relationship. Matter of fact, she looked like me. We take pictures together. Uh, She looked like a dark skin to me. And so uh, I was with my niece uh, at a place called Metro Diner. Y'all know about Metro? yeah? (laughs) Okay, and so uh, up, uh, they say they say it's where the locals go to eat. So uh, so we went to Metro Diner, and uh, my niece asked me what was good on the menu, uh, and I told my niece to get the shrimp and grits, and uh, uh, she says uh, she says, "Well, Uncle Josh, shrimp and grits don't go together." Uh, she says she says, uh, "What a, what am I supposed to do with shrimp?" And grits. Uh, and the problem that my niece has. Is uh, like some of you who do not know the Lord. Uh, my niece puts sugar on her grits. <laughs> yeah, like, like some of you who have not uh, been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And have not accepted him as, as, as your Lord and Savior. My niece used to put sugar Tiffany on her grits. And so she did not understand. How shrimp and grits would go together. Do you hear what I'm saying? And and so I said, first of all, don't put no sugar (laughs) on those grits. Number one, when the grits come out, the shrimp is going to be sitting on top of the grits. Okay. Take you some salt and some pepper and put it on those grits so she does it the shrimp is sitting on top of the grits she takes salt and pepper puts it on top of the grits she says uncle josh it still don't look good i said baby what you got to do is you got to take your fork and mix it together and when you mix it together and you taste it things that look like they shouldn't have tasted good together when you're done mixing them up they'll feel better to you and they'll taste good. That's what Paul is saying when he says God causes things to work together for your good. Everything that God is mixing together in your life don't look like it should go together. So he'll take that breakup that drove you crazy and that promotion that you thanked him for. He'll take that job you lost and that house that you can't afford. He'll take all of these things and work them together and when you look back over your life, you'll find out that it made you better. Than you were before. I got to move. I can't let what I feel override what I know. I have to remember that I've got a helper whose name is the Holy Ghost praying for me. But then I've got to understand that God is using the pain of my adversity as preparation for my promotion. Yeah, God is using the pain of my adversity as preparation for my promotion. How do you know that, Pastor Josh? Well, it's in the text. He says, "And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of them who love God and who are the called according to His purpose." Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become. Somebody say, "Become." Yeah, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called and these whom he called he also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Yeah. Yeah. Who is against us if God is for us? <laughs> I got to deal with that question. That's, that has a question mark at the end of it. Remind me to come back there if God is for us. Uh, if God is for us. If, if, if God is for us. Okay, I'll come back to that. Uh, you've got to understand then, beloved, that your pain is preparation for your promotion. Uh, God is great enough to take the problems that you go through and use them as a training ground to make you grow. Okay, Uh, y'all gonna make me work hard. The the amazing thing about your life is that the devil thinks he's hurting you by sending trouble into your life. But in actuality, he's helping you get ready for your next level. God, help me. I I know you don't get it yet. I know you don't get it yet. Uh, The devil thinks that he's hurting you By sending hell and high water trial and tribulation pain and problems into your life. And God is allowing you to handle them. But God is such a good, good father that he wouldn't allow you to deal with anything that wasn't going to make you better in the end. So God lets you go through it and the devil thinks he's hurting you but in actuality he's making you strong. You're getting ready to be stronger at the end of this. He's getting ready to help you in ways that you didn't know you could be helped and is there anybody here that can look back over the pain of your life and remember that the reason why you're better now is because God let you go through some stuff that you cried over, some things that you asked him to take from you. A marriage that said God let her leave. My God let her leave me alone. Take her away Jesus. Lord let him go. Let him leave with with the woman and never come back but God let you stay there and now you're better than you were before is there anybody here that hated a job could despise your supervisor your co-workers got on your nerves but God used it to transform you into something better than you used to be God says the devil thinks he's hurting you but he's making you better Uh, and what we often fail to realize is That the size and severity of the obstacles in our lives are often an indicator of the size and significance of our purpose. Because God doesn't trust people with small purpose with great pain. God help me. Let me say that again. I want to make sure y'all got it on this side. God does not trust people with small purpose with great pain. So if you're going through great pain, God help me, you need to shout. Because great purpose is on the other side. God help me. And if you can just push through the pain a little while longer, God help me. The purpose is on the other side. God help me. I don't have enough arms and hands to touch all of you. So do me a favor and just grab your neighbor by the hand and tell him, press through the pain a little while longer. Oh, God, if you press through the pain, when you look up, you'll see that there is a breakthrough on the other side. You heard me tell you already, it's in the same chapter just 10 verses before this I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory God help me that shall be revealed in us is there anybody here that knows things won't be like this always God's gonna work this out if I can hold on if I can hang in there God is gonna manifest greatness in me I feel like preaching yeah So then, great pain is my indicator of great purpose. So I know that you're hurting. I know that you're in pain. I know that you feel like it's time to quit. But you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even in the midst of the worst circumstances of your life, that your victory is contingent upon whether or not God is for you, and you need to know that God is for you. God, help me. I told y'all I was coming back to that question mark. He says, what then shall we say to these things? What things? Pressure, problem, pain, tribulation, famine, sword, heartache, heartbreak, mental anguish, depression, anxiety. What, what shall we say to these things if God is for us? But I've got to answer the question then is God for me because some of our religious pharisaical uh, church people say stupid things like God ain't for you. He's for himself and his glory. God God God's not for you. Jesus didn't die for you. He died for his glory. God's glory was never in jeopardy. (laughs) If God wanted glory, the old preacher would say all he had to do was turn his chest towards the sun and the sun would illuminate his glory. If God wanted glory, all he had to do was look down at the waters and the waters would then declare his glory. And Jesus did us one better. He said, if God wanted glory, Father, glorify yourself. God did not need to save you to glorify himself all he had to do was be glorified y'all don't hear me God's glory was never at risk he did not have to save you to prove anything he was sufficient in and of himself he was El Elyon he was a Yahweh he was the all-sufficient one he did not need you but he wanted you God help me He didn't have to have you, but he desired you. God, he was the perfect relationship. He did not need you to complete him. He was complete when he met you, but he said, you enhance this relationship by being in it. I just like to be with you. Yeah, he he says, and because of that, beloved, you got to know that God is for you. God, help me Oh God, I, I wish y'all would get it today. I, I wish you would understand it. God is for you. The Greek word there, and I'm coming back to this word. It is a Greek word, ouper. It is ouper. It, it means over and above, on behalf of, overwhelmingly in favor of, or benefited by the actions of another. It means that God is blessed by blessing you. God, help me. That it blesses God to fight on your behalf. God, help me. That God enjoys coming to your rescue. I don't know who I'm preaching to. Somebody needs to understand that God is upair you. God is, it is God is God. I feel like it now. Uh, can I work, can I show off my education a little bit? Can I Can I? Can I be a little technical for a moment? The word is theos upair haimon. God is for us in the Greek. It It means that God is overwhelmingly on our side. It means that if there was a David jersey or a Teresa jersey or a Tiffany jersey that God would wear your jersey. He's on your team beloved. He is for you and the reason why you are going to make it out of this circumstance is not because of you but it is because of who is fighting on your behalf which means that you're going to be able to celebrate the victory like you were fighting and you were never on the field. Ah, uh, uh, God, God is for ya. I wish somebody would get that and and understand it and celebrate it because everybody thought that God was against them. They, They thought that because of the sins that they had on them and because of who they slept with that they weren't married to and because of the mistakes that they made and because of their track record and because of their prison record and because of the mistakes in their past that God was against them. But you better know that it does not matter what you've done in your past. God is for you and he's been for you from the beginning. There is nothing Thing that can make God change his mind about you. God is for us. Uh, so then, Paul is telling, Lord have mercy, I got to quit. Paul is telling the Roman church that the victory of Jesus Christ is God's guarantee, beloved, of ultimate and overwhelming victory. Over the trials of life for all those who believe on his name. That if we belong to God. We will not be overwhelmed by the adversity of life. But we shall overcome. And if we believe this. The question then becomes beloved. How has God accomplished this overwhelming victory? How do we overcome the adversity of life? If you take a note, you can start here. Okay. Uh, uh, number one, we overcome because we have been saved by unexplainable grace. Yeah, we have been saved by unexplainable grace. We overcome because we've been saved by unexplainable grace. Look at verses 31 through 34. You got your Bible open? You got your app unlocked? Hear the word of the Lord. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, somebody say, he's for me. Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all. How will, how then will he not also with him freely give us all things? And who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. Yet rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. In verses 31 through 34, Paul is telling us that we have been saved, beloved, by the unmerited and unexplainable, the inexplicable grace of God. And he makes the argument that if God went through the trouble of giving us Jesus to secure our freedom from the bondage of sin and death, then he would never allow us to fall into the condemnation of sin or circumstance ever again. In other words, Paul is telling us that Christ has won the victory over sin and that we will overcome because of the grace of God. God, help me. And the grace of God then gives us access to the victory that Jesus has won even though we never participated in the battle. Okay, uh, I know somebody in here feels like you did it for yourself like you you, you celebrate the fact I came to Jesus just as I was and I gave the preacher my hand and I gave God my heart no you have no part to play in your salvation your holy living plays no part in your salvation how much you attend church has no part to play in your salvation but you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone to the glory of god alone do you hear what i'm saying and somebody in here needs to shout because you are able to participate in the victory of god like it's yours god help me oh lord i feel like it now That you're able to participate in the victory and celebrate with the team. Even though you weren't on the court when they won the victory. God help me. I know you don't get it, but let me help you now. Uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, are the team uh, that I support. That's, that's my NBA team. I don't want to hear nothing about it. Uh, uh, if you got a problem with it, find yourself another church. Uh, uh, but the Golden State Warriors, that's, that's my team. And the reason why I cheer for them uh, it's not because I watch a lot of basketball, not because I got history with the team, not, not, not anything of that. I like them because Steph Curry uh, decided to be an outspoken believer, and that's the team he played for. Uh, so it has nothing to do with basketball stats. There were teams I like more, players I like more, uh, but I, I cheer for the Warriors because they are outspoken believers on the squad, right? Um, the funny thing about the Warriors is the Warriors went for years without a championship, but there was a coach by the name of Mark Jackson who through his skill and savvy in the front office, put together an amazing basketball team for the Golden State Warriors. But as often happens to black people in in pro sports, after they accomplish what they need to accomplish, they let them go and then put a white man in charge. And that's what happened with the Golden State Warriors. They fired Mark Jackson after he put together a championship caliber team. And then they took Steve Kerr and made him the coach of the Golden State Warriors. But what they didn't know about Steve Kerr is because he is a believer and he's a man of integrity. When Golden State, the very next year after firing Mark Jackson, won their first uh, NBA title, Uh, He called Mark Jackson out of the announcer's booth onto the court and gave him a championship ring and allowed him to hold the trophy in the sky. Now Mark Jackson was not a part of the Warriors organization. He was not on the court calling any plays. He wasn't on the court dribbling any basketball. He was not able to participate in the victory directly. But because somebody favored him, God help me, when they won the championship, he was able to come on the court and celebrate, God help me, and have a ring on his finger like he'd won a championship even though he never played the game and is there anybody here who knows that through the grace of God that is how you get to participate in the victory of Jesus Christ you get to celebrate God help me like you won and you didn't even participate and somebody needs to give God glory not because God is going to beat it for you not because he's getting ready to beat it for you but because at the cross of Calvary he already beat it God help me and he already already beat it and he's letting you participate like you beat it even though you ain't have nothing to do with it and is there anybody here who can shout because he did it for me God help me oh God I, I should have been doomed to have to try to do it myself but he did it for me he worked it out for me he bought my pardon. he looked beyond my faults and saw me at the point of my needs. he saved my life okay oh man okay uh we overcome because we've been saved by unexplainable grace. But not only do we overcome because we've been been saved by unexplainable grace, we overcome because we've been captured by an unshakable love. Yeah, we've been captured by an unshakable love. We overcome because we've been captured by an unshakable love. Look at verses 35 through 39. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us through him who loved us notice now that It does not draw attention to the military strength of God or to the might of God in battle. But it says we overcome through him. That is that word now, that vicarious victory. We overcome through him. Like some of you parents who are trying to live your life through your children. Uh, That's a message for another day. Uh, He says we overcome through him. That loved us. Yeah. Yeah. That this is all right to live vicariously through him. But we do it not through him who fought for us. Not through him who did military exploits on our behalf. Uh He won by loving us. I need you to see it now. Paul tells us that he's not under some kind of illusion as it relates to adversity. He understands that Christians are dealing with tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. But even in the face of that, Paul declares that none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God. That my adversity, although painful, will not stop God from loving me. But why is the act of love important? Because for God, beloved, hear me now. God ain't like your boyfriend. Stop calling him your boo. Stop calling him your boyfriend. He's not your valentine. Because your valentine is trifling. Yeah. Your boyfriend is subject to feebleness and failure. God is God. And the reason why God is different from your boo, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your lover, is because with God, love is not an emotion, but love is attached, attached to action. Because you can give without loving. But if you are God, you can't love without giving. Whenever God loves something, he does something on behalf of the one he loves. God, help me. Which means that attached to the love of God is the protection of God. Yeah. So God doesn't have to say, I'm going to protect you. He just has to say, I love you. Because if he says, I love you, then that means because he's God, he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that you come out all right so his love then is a guarantee of protection God help me I wish somebody would understand it now God says uh, that he is going to love you and he's going to protect you because God loves you God is going to keep you so unlike my friends or my sometime in relationships or the church people who say they're going to pray for me but never find time to do it according to the text God proves his love for me by not leaving me in my trouble but loving me through my trouble god help me notice now that the text does not promise deliverance from trouble god help me but it promises love while in trouble god help me because anybody can love you when you're out god help me But it takes real love to stay attached to you while you're still in it. God help me while you're yet going through while while you're still dealing with it. God says I'm going to love you while you're going through and God sticks by us even while we're in the middle of the worst situations of our lives. God hangs in there with us when everybody walks away from us when people judge us and they hear our story and they see who we're still friends with and who still loves us and who we still love love back and they judge our relationships but God says I'm going to love you even while you're in the midst of it and is there anybody here who can praise God because he loved you while you were going through God help me Uh, that he loved you while you were in the midst of it he didn't wait for you to change before he loved you but he loved you so good that it made you want to change who am I preaching to in the building that can say it's the love of God that drew me to repentance I don't live right Because I'm afraid to go to hell. I live right because I know I should be in hell. But God let me wake up this morning. God let my eyes pop open. And so I don't live holy because I'm scared. I live holy because I'm grateful. Because I know he didn't have to save me. But he looked beyond my faults and saw me at my knee. All right. Let's quit. We overcome... Because we've been saved by unexplainable grace. Somebody say, unexplainable grace. We overcome because we've been captured by unshakable love. Somebody say, unshakable love. But then finally, we overcome because we've been promised an undeniable victory. Yeah. It says, verse 37, and I'm done. It says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Hmm. The King James says we're more than conquerors. Yeah. <laughs> through him who loved us. Lord, let me preach this text correctly. It says, in all these things, we overcome through him. We overwhelmingly conquer yeah. through him that love us. In verse 37, beloved, Paul, Paul says something uh, very interesting. He actually uses a very interesting Greek word. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is the Greek word, upernikio. Yeah, upernikio. Uh, upernikio. Yeah, it is, it is an interesting Greek word because it is a compound word made up of two Greek words, uper, meaning over, above, beyond, more, and the Greek word Nike, which means victory or conquest. Ah, So when Paul says, in all these things we upernikio, we overwhelmingly conquer through him that loved us, Paul is saying that in the midst of these circumstances that seem to be driving us crazy, In the midst of these feelings that we have that seem like they're overwhelming us, we're going to win. But Cedric, we're not just going to win. We're going to overwhelmingly conquer. We are going to uper nikayo. Yeah, yeah. We're going to overwhelmingly conquer. Now, y'all don't get it yet, but that presents a problem for me. Because when I do a study of, uh, of the Greek word Nike, when I do an etymological study of the Greek word Nike, I find out that there is no such thing as a half victory. Yeah. yeah, There's no such thing as a partial victory. Victory has to be complete or it's not victory. At best, it's a tie or a draw. But if victory is partial, then it's not victory. So then my question then becomes... How is victory overwhelming? What is an overwhelming conquest? If victory is victory, if I won, I won. If if I'm going to the Super Bowl, if I win by one point, if I win by 12 points, I still won the Super Bowl. So God, you got to help me. I'm a former athlete, so explain to me. What does it mean to uper Nikayo? What does it mean to have overwhelming victory? And as I did my study of the word I found out that it speaks to then athletically an overwhelming or blowout victory. My God. A one-sided victory. God help me. A victory that is so one-sided that the other team was not even close. So then it means that if God is guaranteeing me a blowout victory. It's only a blowout if I score more than the enemy that's playing against me. But there's a problem. I didn't know that anybody was keeping score. But what Paul says is that in order for you to uper nekayo, God help me, in order for there to be a blowout, That means that somebody God help me is keeping score God help me you ain't got it yet because if you got it you would have shouted somebody somewhere is paying attention to the game Lord have mercy and they're keeping score and you thought while you were going through that God had forgotten about you that that God had left you by yourself that that the enemy was just doing whatever he wanted to do and God was not concerned but Paul says that God is keeping score God help me that God hasn't forgot about you he's keeping record God help me I don't know who needs that word in the building today but somebody needs to know that God is keeping score that there can't be a blowout unless God is keeping score and can I tell you what the blessing is the text then reveals to us and I'm done now the text then reveals to us not only is God our coach in Romans 8 verses 1 through 25 Romans 8 1 through 25 tells us that God is our coach that he is the one teaching us how to live life but then Romans 26 through 36 tells us that God is the player on the field playing alongside us so God is the coach and the player so if God is a player and a coach it already makes it difficult for you to lose but if your victory was not already guaranteed. Verse 37 says that not only is God the coach, not only is God a player, but God is the scorekeeper. God help me. So God is keeping score. So if you thought you were going to be overwhelmed baby, God told me to tell you, you have no choice but to overcome because the scorekeeper is on your side. We are more than conquerors. Lord help me. Through him that loved us because he loved you. He's going to make sure that you come out. Is there any anybody here who's glad that God is keeping record. That he kept record on that night you cried and you cried yourself to sleep. He kept record on those times that you were by yourself trying to live holy. He kept record on those times when you didn't know if you should tithe or pay that bill. He kept record on those times when you were asleep and you couldn't stay asleep because terrors from your past were keeping you up at night. God kept record but he said the only reason I'm keeping record is because I'm going to blow out the competition on your behalf. Uh, okay, you don't get it. Let me help you. My, my, son, uh, my nephew, Israel, uh, likes to play Madden. So when I visited Omaha the last time, I played Madden. Now, I'm not good at uh, video games like that. I, I like to play them sometimes, but I don't like to play against nobody because I'm not good. I just want to play against the computer. By myself. Amen. I think I got a witness. Yes, wanna, I want to play by myself because I'm not good. But my nephew said, Uncle Josh, I want you to play me in Madden last time we went to visit Omaha. So I go downstairs, turn on the uh, PlayStation or the Xbox rather, and I play him uh, in Madden. And uh, I tell him now, Israel, I know all you do all day <laughs> is play this game, okay? Uh, you, you you a professional game player, okay? But I don't play no games. You know yeah. I, I, don't play, I don't play no games. And I, I, I mean that double entendre. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I don't play no games, and I don't play no games. All right? So uh, he's like, Uncle Josh, don't worry about it. I'm really not that good. My brother is much better than me. Uh, Isaac is way better. And I, I'm not that good. And so we start playing, you know, and I'm playing the game. And uh, I score a touchdown. I'm feeling all right. I scored another touchdown. He's like, oh, man, Uncle Josh, you're doing real good. You can really play. I score another touchdown. It's 21 nothing. I feel like I'm doing all right. I'm like, that's the game. He's like, okay, Uncle Josh, you ready to play for real now? <laughs> By the end of the game, he took one of the worst teams in the NFL and beat me 58-21. to I did not score another point <laughs> after those 21 points that he gave me. And so I get done and, I'm, you know, as I'm taking off my belt to uh, get my vengeance, because <laughs> I told him I don't play no games. He clearly didn't understand what I was talking about. I say, now you got to explain to me. You got to explain to me why you did your Uncle Josh like that. I told you I don't be playing these games. He said, well, I wanted you to score enough points. So that you could feel like you were competing because I knew in my heart that whenever I got ready, I could blow you out. God help me. And can I tell you how big your God is? the devil is scoring points in your life you he's scoring points with depression he's scoring points with anxiety he's scoring points with pressure and with trial and with tribulation and the scoreboard is going up and you're watching from the stands of life looking like the home team is losing but God is like my nephew sitting back laughing Say, so, oh, that's cute, man! You really messed that. You done jacked her credit up. You, you done messed his life up. You, you got him going through pain, and he's dealing with tribulation. Oh, is that all you got, Satan? Come on, come! Oh, you're doing real good, devil. You're doing awesome. But he's looking at the devil, knowing that at any time. He can step in and get the victory. And I want somebody to know, come on, Mike, let's have church for a little while. I want somebody to know that victory is going to be yours. Put me in C-sharp, Mike. Victory is going to be yours. Grab your neighbor by the hand and say, at any time, God can blow your mind. God can give you the victory. God can do it for you at a moment's notice. God is going to turn it around. I can't hear the organ. I'm trying to have church. Grab your neighbor by the hand and say, neighbor, God is going to work it out. He's going to turn it around. He's working in your favor. If I hold my peace and let the law fight my battles, then victory It shall be mine. I got to preach now. Is there anybody here in the building today that can testify and tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, it's going to be all right. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Grab your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, Everything is going to be all right. The Lord is fighting for me. Is there anybody here? I know y'all don't like this kind of preacher, but I done got happy now. Because I know huh, that I've got enemies huh, that I need to fight. Huh. I've got giants huh, that need to come down. Huh. I've got problems huh, that I need to learn. Huh. I need them to solve them. Huh. I need them to work them out. Huh. And is there anybody here huh, in the building today huh, who can tell your neighbor, neighbor, oh, neighbor, neighbor. God will work it out. I wish I had a Holy Ghost church here. Is there anybody here that knows the Lord is going to work it out? Well, do me a favor. Tell somebody. Say, He will give you the victory. He will open doors. He will turn it around. Yeah. Well, grab your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, y'all ain't touching nobody. Y'all a rebellious church. Grab your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, be not dismayed. Whatever be tied. Come. Yes, he will. He'll take care of you. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. I know he will. Yes, he will. Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here? Hey, is there anybody here who knows he will? He'll give you the victory. God, the God we serve. If I hold, if I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battle, victory yes it will, victory yes it will, victory shall be mine. But how do I get the victory? The old saint said, in the name, the name of Jesus in the name the name of Jesus we have the victory in the name the name of Jesus Satan you have to flee ah, tell me who can stand stand before us when we call upon that great name what is the name his name is wonderful counselor his name is everlasting everlasting father his name his name is the Prince of Peace. His name is a wheel in the middle of a wheel. His name is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. precious Jesus. We have, we have, we have. I said we have, we have the victory. Is there anybody here who knows you have that you have the victory? We'll find somebody and shake them and rock them, rock them and shake them. I said shake them and rock them, rock em and shake them. You ain't shook them right. I said shake them and rock them, rock them and shake them, shake them and rock them. Said neighbor you will uh, overcome Uh, I know it doesn't uh, look like it uh, but you will Uh, you You can't see it with your eyes. You can't feel it with your hands. But the old saint said, deep in my heart, deep in my heart, deep in, deep in, deep in. Deep in my heart, I do believe that we, that we, that we, that we, that we, we shall overcome someday. Say yeah, say yeah, say yeah. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Say yeah. Say yeah.